2: Today, we have uh, the great opportunity to talk with uh, someone who's been on the front lines of uh, responding to and helping citizens with uh, this terrible pandemic that we're dealing with. Uh, We're joined by uh, New York City Police Department Lieutenant Richard Mack. Uh, Richard uh, has been with the police force now almost 25 years in New York City. He's currently the platoon commander in the strategic response group. And he also happens to be uh, my cousin. And I've had the great fortune of watching uh, Rich work in the police department for so long now. Uh, Rich, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Before we turn to Rich, of course, we have um, Zachary's scene-setting poem. Uh, What is your poem about today, Zachary? It's called Silence and Sound. Let's hear Silence and Sound.
0: Before the storm, the streets swung with horns, floating into the wind like steam, and echoing off the tall glass stalagmites into the hollow beats of sidewalk walkers. Slowly, the little molecules slipped in, making their way into the main channel felling people gradually, softening the blasts and the beat. Now, the parks are all empty. Grass begins to encroach onto the concrete paths. No one mounts the green and rocky hills. The noise of strong feet and wheels is missing. But the birds come back with a bolder song. The squirrels are multiplying, unafraid to leap across trees. Chirps and birdsong filling the missing space. On the street corners now, mailboxes are more populous than people. Soul stragglers cross the gray concrete, and the silent multitudes await the fall. Yet so many are connecting over the interwebs, loud laughter filling the airspace between homes and cities, holding Passover Seder's through video conference just as loud. So many faces are screaming, happy and sad, with new emotions. Silence in the darkened concrete of the city, silence along the unprotected state highways, silence in nations across the ocean and silence clings to every plastered surface. And then at 7 p.m., the cheers suddenly startle the squirrels in the park. The overworked nurse stares up at the applauding skies. The hard-hit police precinct looks up out the windows, and a sick person leans out and smiles at the sound.
2: It's very moving, Zachary. What is your, what is your poem capturing for us today?
0: My poem is really about um, this contrast between a uh, silence and how our lives have come to a halt. But at the same time, how we have all these new emotions and new experiences. And in particular, it's about this um, tradition now in New York City, where at 7pm, everyone will clap for first responders. Right,
2: right. Well, Rich, um, what is it like to be a police officer who's been in the force as long as you've been and dealt with uh, 9-11 and so many other tragedies? What is it like now to deal with, with this terrible pandemic in New York City?
1: Well, I just have to throw out a little um, warning is that I'm obviously not speaking on behalf of the police department uh, as a private citizen and also as a adjunct professor at John Jay College. But um, just for professional purposes, I have to say that I'm not speaking in an official capacity. Right. So uh, it's uh, very strange. Uh, I don't know if I care to really say that this is similar to 9-11, because this is nothing like 9-11. Um, the main thing is, is the city's quiet. It's uh, I've been out there. There's really not that much going on. Crime is just, there's no one out there. I mean, you kind of need uh, three main things for a crime to happen. And people are a big part of that requirement in order to have a crime happen. And there's just not a lot of people out there. Mm -hmm.
2: Do do you as a police officer feel um, that uh, your job has changed in this environment?
1: Uh, In this environment, it's absolutely changed. I mean, you know, the biggest concern is not getting sick, not contracting sickness from someone else. Um, Unfortunately, uh, numerous people that I work with have gotten sick, myself included. Uh, I'm better now. It's uh, been just very strange. There's not a lot of 911 calls. There's not a lot of calls for service. Um, as I mentioned, crime is down overall, though it's coming up a little bit with burglaries. But overall, it's just there's just not a lot of people out there. It's, mm-hmm. Most people are doing the right thing, which
0: is staying home and sheltering in place. How has um, this experience changed how you look at your job? Well, I'm coming up
1: on 25 years. Um, you know, part of you wonder, you know, what when's a good time to leave or to move on to other things uh, or continue to stay. And uh, right now, it seems most important, obviously, that I stay. This is my city. This is what I do. And uh, if we're needed more, it's now. Uh, just the strange part is it feels like we're really not needed that much because not much is going on.
2: Right. Right. But, but of course, I, when the city, uh, reopens and the country reopens in a sense, there will be probably more need for you than ever before. I, I imagine that's what you anticipate, right?
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, my unit deals a lot with, uh, protests and I'm sure, uh, as the presidential election starts to ramp up, you know, uh. Our assistance will be needed to ensure everybody goes out there and protests and gets along, or at least uh, behaves appropriately. Mm-hmm.
2: And 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 you mentioned already that that you tested positive for COVID nineteen, and you're doing this uh, interview with us, of course, when you're quarantined at home and and recovering. Uh, first of all, what has that experience been like?
1: Um, I got lucky. I had a mild. Milder experience of it. Unfortunately, we've lost uh, over 20 members of police officers and school safety agents and traffic agents who've all died from uh, coronavirus. Um, And uh, several people I know have been hospitalized. I've been lucky. I've had, uh, for me, it's been like a a regular flu Mm. for probably about a week and a half. And I'm coming out of it now.
2: And and how did you find out that you that you had COVID nineteen? What what led you to this to this moment?
1: Well, I started getting little aches and pains. Strangely, it felt like in the started in the back of my eyes. Like when I looked left or right, I was getting like soreness, like I had been punched in both eyes or something. And uh, then what happened was, uh, I was actually I had ordered some stuff delivered and. in from home depot and it didn't all get delivered so i had to go to home depot out in long island sent to the wrong location and while i was uh, walking around the store it hit me like a ton of bricks and i was like i gotta get home right now hmm. and i had about 102 fever and um upset stomach and you know, uh, basically like your standard flu. I was very, I look at it, I was very lucky compared to what a lot of other
0: people have had to endure from it. As a department where you've seen a lot of people sick, um, and you're also dealing with a lot of sick members of the public, how has the attitude of the public towards you changed?
1: Uh, that is probably the only thing I will say um, that is similar to 9-11 is uh, we're definitely back in the good graces of the public, at least temporarily. Mm. People are a lot more friendlier, a lot more willing to help us out. Everybody wants to do the right thing. And uh, if you compare anything 9-11, it would be uh, the uh, positive attitude that uh, people are looking upon the police department again, at least temporarily. And, and, and what about uh, the view of the public from the police
2: department, uh, because you're, you're in a situation now where you're often advising people not to go out, maybe discouraging them from congregating where they want to congregate. What has that experience been like?
1: Well, for the most part, people have been very um, cooperative. Uh, you know, you get a few uh, groups that don't want to listen. Or they're so ingrained in in their own culture that they don't want to uh, listen to the greater public. We've seen that a little bit, uh, like, uh, in certain communities. You know, um, the police department is not going to go out there and just start arresting people for being, for violating the social distance law. Yes, they want it enforced, but uh, realistically, we're trying to... uh, avoid that route if all possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Cuz I mean the last thing you want to do is people violating the public social distancing and then we arrest them and now we're stuck with them inside the station house.
2: Right. Right. So what do you do? How do you handle that when you when or how are you trained to handle that when you see a group, you know, congregating in ways they shouldn't? There was a group playing ultimate frisbee the other day in a park in Austin. I mean, what what, what do you do in that situation?
1: You know, you know, it's oftentimes the police are put in the worst possible situation, where it's like, oh, they're only they're playing ultimate frisbee, like which, by the way, it's been a long time since I played ultimate frisbee. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, play me too, me too, Rich. Uh, I think I remember us playing that in college, but that's about the height of my ultimate frisbee career. <laughs> um, you know, listen. And they had an incident in New Jersey the other day where the police were told to go out there and clear out the park. And there was a father playing ball with his daughter. He refused to leave, so they wound up arresting him. It's a lose-lose situation for the police. It really is. Um, I mean, you look at it right away, and it's like, oh, why is the police arresting this guy? They should be going out doing bigger things. I mean, the fact is that the police most of the time are not dealing with bigger things or always end up dealing with the smaller stuff. Right. And it's it's to the point that I think the police need to be firm, but unless it's really a required arrest situation, you kind of got to lay your hands off and be like, well, if they want to risk it, that's on them. You know, I I don't think, uh, you know, it's just not going to uh, end good for the police in any right. regards.
2: Right. But in general, you have found that most people are cooperative?
1: In general, most people cooperative. As I said, uh, there's been some small pockets of uh, certain communities with certain beliefs that they don't want to uh, cooperate with the police. And I think that's when you need to get the community leaders involved and try and work out a solution because um, – you know, oftentimes people will also call the police for that situation, and then the police wind up arresting somebody, and then it's like one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't scenarios, which is what happens oftentimes with the police in a lot of these situations. Right, right.
2: How is the morale among the NYPD? Is this is this a, a time that's bringing you all together in the way nine eleven did, or is there a sense that you've been abandoned i know you had trouble for example getting tested as so many citizens have rich
1: yeah i mean uh listen the the morale it's it's tough um the support from the community does really help during this time period and there are a lot of people that are uh, police officers that are uh, in in difficult situations because it's like they may have um i know police officers had newborns at home and then they're at work exposing themselves to people who may have the disease. And then they got to come home to deal with the newborn who can't be exposed at all to right. certain illnesses. Right. Or right. you have uh, another detective I know. He has a wife with cancer. She can't be exposed to any, um, any possible illnesses because she's immune compromised. So he has to live kind of separate from her. And and it's not just everyone says well that's what the police signed up for. Number one, they didn't sign up for it. Number two, their families definitely did not sign up for it. Right, and that puts a lot of officers in a, a difficult catch twenty two situation, where they want to help the community, but they also that also might affect uh, their loved ones at home.
2: What kind of support does the police department or the city in some other capacity provide for what sounds like an incredibly difficult situation for so many police families that you just described?
1: Well, listen, when it comes to something really this big, it's very difficult for the police department or any department to make uh, concessions. But they they have been helpful. Um, they have said those who are Because we also keep in mind have police officers who are immunocompromised. And those police officers have basically been told to stay home till this ends because of the concern of them getting sick. And like, as I mentioned, we had several members of the police department pass away. Some of them had immunocompromised systems.
2: Right, one of them was someone you told me you worked with who had who had diabetes. If I'm not mistaken, yes,
1: right? uh, Cedric Dixon passed away. He had diabetes and asthma. I don't remember it, how severe he had it, and uh, I don't recall it being a major severe thing. And he self isolated at home, and unfortunately, he passed away. Hmm. And, um, after that, the police department did go out and release all members of the pub, of the police department. If they are immunocompromised and have uh, documentation, so, do
2: do you do you know, Rich, what percentage of the police force is now at home um, for that reason or because they're infected, as you are? Do 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 you know that?
1: Um, I do not. I've heard it's around twenty percent, which wow, is a very large percentage. But I heard it's starting to come down because people are going back to work. Gotcha. I mean, uh. You know, ten uh, percent of thirty six thousand is thirty six hundred. So, you're talking easily over, you know, seven thousand police sure. officers alone, not including sure. civilians. Right, right. And I imagine
2: you've you, you, you're not um, training and bringing in new new officers right now.
1: I would assume, right? They had one class. They graduated early. Uh, they were close to being the end of their graduation, so they graduated, but they didn't even have to get to have a graduation because of uh, they got no big ceremony at the garden like I did. Right. Uh, and then I believe there are some in the academy mid-learning, and I, I don't know uh, what they're doing with them uh, because obviously you're not supposed to have large groups, so I really don't know what they're doing with them i mean uh, when i was in the academy and there was like a snowstorm they threw us out on traffic posts so uh, <laughs> direct traffic which, yeah. which as you can imagine in the middle of one of the major storms it was like uh the storm in 95 was you know we didn't even have a firearm and they threw us out in a major snowstorm to go direct traffic and they said if you see any homeless people we can uh remove them willingly or not from the storm for their own safety. And I'm like, so a homeless person can't be out on the street, but somehow a police officer can go stand on a corner and
0: direct traffic. (laughs)
1: doesn't
0: sound right. Uh, Other than the department, how's the morale of the city as a whole right now?
1: I think the morale of the city is pretty good. I think people are starting Uh, With something like this, they say that uh, the shorter time period, more people are cooperative. And I think a lot more people are very, have been cooperative. But I think as time goes on, that cooperation is going to come less and less. And I think the example of that was uh, Hurricane Irene. Which was not so long before uh, Hurricane, uh, what was the big one in New York? Drawing a blank here a second. Hurricane Sandy. Sandy, Sandy, yes. How could I forget? And what happened was they pe- evacuated people during Hurricane Irene, and numerous people uh, evacuated and did what they were supposed to do down in the coastal areas, but Hurricane Irene only really caused destruction in upstate New York, mostly. And so when Sandy hit, a lot of people did not evacuate because of that. And I think it caused more issues. And the point I'm trying to make is that too many alarms, people start to become numb to it. Right. Right.
2: and they assume it's not going to be as, as bad as, as predicted.
1: Yes, because Irene was not as bad as predicted for the coastal areas but right. state New York. The towns were devastated, absolutely devastated by it. Right, right. And then obviously Sandy hit, and Sandy completely devastated the coastal areas of New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut.
2: So on that note, Rich, did did, did you feel prepared for this? Um, did you feel that the... That the- training and um, preparatory work you had done put you in a position as a police officer to to do the best you could in this situation or should more have been done beforehand?
1: You know, uh, from uh, the police department standpoint, I think I felt pretty well trained. Uh, I'm also what's called the hazmat technician, which I I do do a lot of additional training uh, within my unit for this type of scenario. And I felt very well educated and trained, but the problem was this was a system-wide issue. And from like, you know, uh, the problem is like a lot of the police officers got sick from other police officers, not really dealing with the public. And you could clean an area all you want, but if people are, are sick or unknown to be sick and interacting with other people who are sick or unknown to be sick, you're going to have this issue. Right. There's no getting around it. You know, I'm sure there's, you know, different, you know, police officers can't really work from home. Right. Though it would be nice. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll put that in. The, oh, trust me, I uh, I'd put that in the suggestion box in a in a heartbeat. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, um, it's it's more of a system wide thing. And you know, listen, I I I actually believe that the shutdown orders were made at approximately the appropriate time. Okay, I think if it was done too soon, people would have disregarded it. And if it's done too late, uh, then more people would right gotten sick. And, and I think the one thing that I've just seen a lot of people do is trying to play the blame game, whether it's on a city, state, or federal level. And I think that, you know, some people may disagree with me, but I, I think that the, the calls were made... At, at the more most appropriate time that it could have been, because you know, sure it would have been great to call it sooner, but would people have listened if people really weren't getting sick? Right. Which that is makes that a makes very sense. tough call to make.
2: Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So so that brings us to uh, our final question, which is always the, the question we like to close on with all of our expert guests like yourself. Um, what should our listeners do? Where how can they help? If they care about supporting the work of law enforcement and peace officers and others uh, in this difficult time. Uh, what is it that that ordinary citizens can do to help? How can they make a difference?
1: Well, you know, obviously, um, you know, staying at home is definitely a good start. Uh, looks like we're over the curve with this, at least in New York, and it's going to raise in other areas before – it gets better, but New York appears to be doing a lot better. Um, I remember an article during 9-11 that says it shouldn't take a tragedy for you to appreciate what your police officers are going through. And uh, I think that's the biggest takeaway from this it is, uh we shouldn't have to wait for the next uh, tragic incident for people to be nice to us. Yes. And be kind. Yes. And, you know um, – the toughest part about this job sometimes is the negativity. And unfortunately in policing, there can be a lot of negativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've gone by and I've seen what the uh how the what a disaster some of these hospitals have been having to deal with. Elmhurst General, which is like the uh center point of really this whole coronavirus. And I mean Elmhurst is so overwhelmed they are Every day I go by there they're taking patients away to other hospitals because of wow. the wow. uh overflow. Um, you know, listen, uh, the Spanish flu of nineteen eighteen, you know, uh the H one N one, the bird flu, you know, uh viruses are part of um life. And it's the important thing is is that we learn how to mitigate it. So it affects the least amount of people, especially as we get into populated areas, heavy populated areas. Right, right. And um, the main thing I would say is also uh, appreciate your nurses and the medical staff and all the people who are stuck in that hospital that really have to endure the amount of uh, sickness and death that's been going on. You know, and uh, fortunately, um, everyone's been getting along, and everyone's been, um, in my opinion, society has been acting uh, very well during all this. But yeah. the- sometimes we're
2: better than our leaders, right?
1: Uh, absolutely, and 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 like I said, uh, I think in this particular case it's a lot easier to blame the leaders than it is to stand up and say uh, the, the best choices were made under the, the information that was given. Yes. And yeah. all, all incidents are local and all these type of things, what's going on in New York City is not what's going on upstate New York. What's going on in uh, New Orleans is not what's going on in the rest of Louisiana. And I'm sure what's going on in California or in Texas, it's localized. Right. And uh, it's really up to the local leaders to kind of make the calls as to when to shut things down, when to open things back up. And people need to have an understanding that it's really in the best interest to kind of um, see when that call needs to be made and to support it the best they can.
2: I I agree 100%. Zachary? Uh, as, a, as a young person who um, sometimes has concerns about the police as well as showing respect for the police, how do you think about these issues? Does this help you to think about uh, more cooperative relations and uh, better uh, connections between citizens and the police going forward?
0: Definitely. And I think the the power of this moment we're in is that it really allows us to reexamine how important emergency responders and law enforcement are in our society and also the role that they should play. And I think that this offer- offers us a great opportunity to do that.
2: Well, that's very well said. And and I particularly like uh, both your comment and Rich's at the end about how, how these are local issues. And we in local communities really have to work together as we are, um, because uh, regardless of one's ideology, regardless of one's point of view, we are all in this together, and uh, Rich, you, you've always uh, acted in that way. You've always been about public service uh, since we were small kids. I remember your your, your interest in these issues, and uh, it's a real honor to have you on the podcast. And we hope you continue to recover and and get healthy and get back out there helping helping people in New York and around the country. Thank you for joining us, Rich.
1: Thank you, and um, yeah, hope to uh, join you again when a less um serious topic comes out.
2: Absolutely. Well, we'll have you on to talk about uh, how we're we're becoming a better country after this, right? Um, And Zachary, thank you for your poem and for your insights as always. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Is Democracy.
0: This podcast is produced by the Liberal Arts Development Studio and the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. The music in this episode was written and recorded by Harrison Lemke, and you can find his music at harrisonlemke.com. Subscribe and stay tuned for a new episode every Thursday featuring new perspectives on democracy.